Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. Learn more about the program and our church when you visit walkintruth.com or download the Free Living Truth app. Now here's Pastor Michael's teaching in Exodus chapter 6, verses 1 through 9, called The Four Cups. Now the Jewish Passover begins, at the beginning of that celebration, the Jews practice something called the Seder meal. Seder speaks of order, and there's an order with which they do things to commemorate their being freed from Egyptian bondage. And this particular uh, message just happens, you know, we just happen to be, and I didn't plan it this way, at a place where the four cups within the Seder meal are pulled from this passage. So I called my rabbi friend and I said, Rabbi Robert, how did the four cups get pulled from this particular passage, especially Exodus 6 and 7, 6, 6 and 7? Let's read it together. And if you're physically able to stand, let's just read these two verses Here's what it says, Exodus 6, 6 and 7. And Natalie, if you're back there, you can put up that main slide with the four verses. Say, therefore, Exodus 6, 6 to the sons of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from their bondage. I will also redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. Then I will take you for my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. You may be seated. Father, write your holy word on our hearts. Amen. At every Seder, there are four stages to our redemption, represented by four cups in the verses that we just read together. There is a fulfillment of these cups in the person of Jesus Christ, and there's application to us as believers. And when I asked Rabbi Robert the question about how the four cups came from this passage, because you don't see cups there, he said it was basically a, a midrashic interpretation. That is, Jewish commentators looked at Exodus 6 and came up with a commentary that migrated into the Passover meal. Because you don't see the word cup here, but you will see how this applies in just a moment. And it would be like if you read a commentary today, for example, on the book of Romans, and you saw a group of commentators making an uh, interpretation on a passage. That's basically how it came through time and arrived within the Seder meal. And so these particular cups come to the fore, but before we get there, we have a little background work to do. We're going to pick it up in verse 1, and here's what it says. The Lord said to Moses, Exodus 6, 1, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For under compulsion, and God said, this is the only way that Pharaoh's going to let you go, under compulsion, or because of my mighty hand, 6, 1, with a strong hand, if you have a new King James, he shall let them go. And under compulsion, he shall drive them out of his land. At the end of chapter 5, there was a frustration that happened because they went to the Pharaoh, and the Pharaoh actually increased the workload on the people of Israel. And he bid them to make bricks, remember, without straw. So the people were looking everywhere to try to find the straw that they needed to make the bricks, and they were not to fall one quota short, one brick short of the quota 
They were to maintain the same, uh, you know, efficiency that they had done before. The people were frustrated. The burdens increased. They were being beat by the taskmasters. And we drew a spiritual picture in that message, if you were here, that that's how Satan often works in our lives. He distracts us. He puts extra burdens on our backs. Oftentimes when we get a little bit of a taste of freedom, you're a new Christian, and you're beginning to understand this new life, then extra tests or weight come on your back. That just seems to be the way it goes. And Moses was frustrated, and he said, Lord, you know, nothing's working here, to paraphrase. Ever since I went to the Pharaoh and did what you told me, things have only gotten worse. You haven't delivered the people at all. You ever prayed like that before? Lord, ever since I became a Christian, right? (laughs) Everything seemed easy. Now people are mad at me at the office because I took a stand on this topic or that subject. Being a Christian is not easy. It's a blessing, but you often find yourself in the middle of warfare. And I think you can tell that the world is moving away from Christian ideas. Have you noticed? And more and more, it's becoming blatant that you're going to be swimming against the tide as a believer. And Egypt is a type of the world. And the burdens that come on people's backs are a regular uh, occasion of this fallen world. And so God spoke further to Moses, Exodus 6, 2, and said to him, I am the Lord. Now, the word Lord there, or the name Lord there, is Yahweh, Y-H-W-H. And this is the foundation This is where it all starts and where it all ends. I am the Lord. This is the first time, by the way, in Exodus that God says, I am Yahweh. He's given the name to Moses, but this is the first time he's declared it like this. I am the Lord. There is no other. And the the name Yahweh means I'm the self-existing one. I am who I am. We looked at this in Exodus 3, 14 and 15. I am the self-existent God. Everything comes from me. I hold it all together. He is non-contingent, uncreated. He is the creator. And there's an additional thought to his name. And it is this. I will be for you whatever you need in that moment. So it is, I am the self-existing one, but I will also be to you what you need. And in the burning bush, when God shared that with Moses, the bush depicted Israel under the fire of Egyptian bondage, yet not consumed. The bush burned, but it was not consumed. And Moses turned to see this great sight. And that's when God commissioned him and God spoke to him. And to Abraham, God appeared as a traveler because uh, Abraham traveled and sojourned and never really owned any land except, except some burial ground. To Joshua, the Lord appears as a mighty warrior. And to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he comes into the fire. Whatever you need at that given moment, I am the self-existent one, but I will also meet you where you are. And God has done that for me and I'm sure for you so many times. Not always in the timing that I would prefer. Sometimes he stretches us, of course. But I am the Lord is the foundation. This is covenant language. Yahweh is the covenant-keeping God, and he's reminding Moses of who he is and thus what he does. 
He's the same self-existent eternal God, Yahweh, that appeared to the patriarchs, that made the promises to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And now they are going to be actualized, and they were even prophesied in Genesis 15 and now actualized under, you could say, the ministry of Moses. God is saying, what I promised, I will fulfill. Sometimes we look at our world and we look at world conditions and maybe we read prophecies about the second coming of Christ and we we could have a little hesitation in our spirit. Is this really going to happen? Are you going to really rule and reign? But every promise that God has made in the Bible about the first coming of Christ came to pass and all the prophecies about the second coming of Christ are going to come to pass. I am the Lord. That is my name. I do not lie. I will fulfill my word. That's what God is saying. And I think he's re-emphasizing that for Moses. I appeared, look at verse 3, to Abraham. These are the patriarchs or the ones that came before. To Isaac and Jacob. And I appeared as El Shaddai. That's God Almighty. But my name, Lord, that's Yahweh, verse 3, I did not make uh, did not make myself known to them by that name. And some scholars believe, because this can be a little confusing, because I think Yahweh is uh, mentioned in Genesis multiple times. So what does this mean? One scholar said he believes this could be in the form of a question. This could be something like this. And by my name, Yahweh, did I not make myself known to them? And then there are other commentators that believe that God is saying, I made myself known as El Shaddai, God Almighty, but I did not reveal the depth of my name. And this is how you can kind of piece this together. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob knew some about me. They got a little taste of who I am, but a further taste and a further revealing of my name will happen in the Exodus. Everybody with me? Through the 10 plagues, through the blood of the Passover lamb, I will reveal more of who I am, my redeeming, powerful hand. Abraham got a promise about land, and he learned a little bit about, obviously, about justification. Uh, you have Isaac and Jacob, who God appeared to them in, at very, in various stages of their journey, and the promises were reiterated. But do you remember the main promise was of a, uh, of ancestry, stars, and sand. Remember, those were the images. So it would be like the stars of the sky and the sand of the seashore. So will your descendants be and the promise of land, but not the full unfolding of redemption. And really, the full unfolding of redemption is realized for us in the person of Jesus Christ. And so there were types and shadows in the Old Testament that were fulfilled then by Christ in the new. And it could well be that God is saying here, in the revealing of my name as El Shaddai, I didn't reveal everything. And sometimes revelation comes, remember, in stages. And we see that in our Bibles. And so God says, now, in essence, I am making myself known in a new way. I'm going to redeem my people. I'm going to deliver them from bondage. God knows what our greatest need is, and our greatest need is salvation. It is deliverance. It is to know the one who delivers us from our bondage. And this will foreshadow the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Thanks for tuning in to Walk in Truth today. Did you know there's more where that came from? Download the Living Truth app to listen to more of Pastor Michael's teachings whenever you want. You can even watch videos. And if you're local to Southern California, you can get updates on church events, new studies, and more. Download the free Living Truth app today. Listen to our podcast mini-series, A Step Closer. In these series, Pastor Michael Lance and others on the Walk in Truth team discuss topics we face in our life from a Christian perspective. Our next series is called Trick or Treat, The Origins of Halloween. But we also shouldn't look sideways at Christians who take their kids to Christian alternative uh, celebrations or even go door-to-door in a Superman costume. We need to chill out. They're not practicing the ancient festival of Druidism. And this is Awen. They're dressed as Superman getting candy. Okay? The holiday has become largely secular. We all know that. Most Americans have no clue of anything I've told you this morning. You can listen to A Step Closer on walkintruth.com. Or you can subscribe and follow Walk In Truth on your favorite podcast app, like Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and many more. We'd love to see who's listening, so please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just do a search for Walkin' Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walkin' Truth. And the promises were reiterated, but do you remember the main promise was of, a, uh, of ancestry, stars, and sand, remember those were the images? So it would be like the stars of the sky and the sand of the seashore. So will your descendants be and the promise of land, but not the full unfolding of redemption. And really, the full unfolding of redemption is realized for us in the person of Jesus Christ. And so there were types and shadows in the Old Testament that were fulfilled then by Christ in the New. And it could well be that God is saying here, In the revealing of my name as El Shaddai, I didn't reveal everything. And sometimes revelation comes, remember, in stages. And we see that in our Bibles. And so God says, now, in essence, I am making myself known in a new way. I'm going to redeem my people. I'm going to deliver them from bondage. God knows what our greatest need is, and our greatest need is salvation. It is deliverance. It is to know the one who delivers us from our bondage. And this will foreshadow the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And I also established my covenant with them, look at verse 4, to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they sojourned. Now the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, lived as aliens in a land of promise, but they did not realize the promise. The promise would be realized in the future. And it would be really realized through the next generation, the generation beyond Moses. And that was largely because of the issue of unbelief. And so they wandered in the desert, and they wandered in their unbelief. But God had a plan. And that plan would be realized as Joshua would take them them across. And furthermore, verse 5, I have heard the groaning of the sons of Israel because of the Egyptians, because the Egyptians are holding them in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. Now, God does not forget things like we do. As I get older, 
Uh, things are going out of my mind a little bit more readily than before. Anybody uh, about my age starting or beyond starting to realize this? Uh, it's, it usually finds itself in names. Like uh, actors and baseball players that I could just bring up at a moment's notice. Oh yeah, that's the second baseman for so-and-so. That's his name and oh no. That's not happening anymore. <laughs> so uh, thank God for a new body that is coming, a new brain that is coming as well. But God does not say, oh yeah, Israel's been in bondage for a couple hundred years. We've got to do something about that. That's not what's going on here. It's that the, re- the word remember means it's now time to act. What I have promised, I will now act upon. And in life, this is sometimes how it works. We, we set a date for something, and that date may be far off into the future. It will be realized at some point, whether it's a wedding date or whatever. And God now is going to actualize his promises as his covenant will be kept. And then we move to the four cups. Say, therefore, to the sons of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. This is the first cup during the Seder meal. Now, what I uh, did with these slides, and maybe we can move to that first one, is I wanted you to see there's the four cups uh, that are spoken in the two verses, and then we can move to the next slide for a second. And here is the first cup. It's called the cup of sanctification. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And there's a statue of a Hebrew slave in Egypt. The first cup is the cup of sanctification. This is a cup that is shared at the Seder Passover meal to remember. And when we take the Lord's Supper in the modern church, and we come to the table and we take the matzah and the grape juice, we remember. What do we remember? We remember that we were once under the burden of sin. And some of you grew up in the church, but I did not necessarily walk with the Lord my whole childhood. I had some foundation that was given to me by my mom and my grandma, but we kind of moved away from that. And I found myself under the burden of a lot of things that I had created. And sin in the Bible is pictured as a weight that falls on your life. It ends up being a burden. Sometimes it's painted to us like it's going to be something cool and exciting. But what looks so fun and exciting at the beginning can often become a burden in our lives. And so this first cup is the cup of sanctification. When we talk about being sanctified, we often say sanctified means to be set apart. And you can think of this as being repositioned by God. You are under the burden of sin, and he lifts that off of you and sets you free. Put your feet now upon solid ground. Christ fulfills these cups, and they have an application to our lives as believers because we have been, you know, oftentimes when people get saved, they describe feeling like a weight came off of their shoulders. And that's the weight of sin. Isaiah 53 pictures Jesus as taking our burdens upon him, carrying the weight of our sin. And he carried it down the Via Dolorosa, which we will look at during the uh, Passion Week. And Jesus could have ended it, 
but he did it in obedience to his father. He carried the cross. He took the cat of nine tails. He endured that terrible suffering. He took, he was whipped. You know, the, the, uh, Hebrew slaves in Egypt were whipped by taskmasters. Jesus was whipped over and over and over again. And when Jesus stepped into this world, he stepped in to take our spot, to put himself under the burden, to relieve us of the burden. This is what we call the vicarious atonement of Christ or the great exchange of the cross. Jesus, though innocent, bears our burden. He puts himself under the weight, the penalty of sin. He never sinned himself, but he, he steps in to be the substitute for us. And so here is the cup of sanctification. Jesus, by the way, honored these cups as he ate the Passover meal with his disciples, and he would have done it as a faithful Jew over and over again. He says in Luke twenty two fourteen. I have earnestly, 15, desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never again eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. You've been listening to The Four Cups, part one on Walk in Truth. That's Pastor Michael's teaching in Exodus 6, verses 1 through 9. And as always, if you missed any part of today's program, you can listen to Walk in Truth on our free Living Truth app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, if you're having a hard time and need someone to talk to, or maybe you don't even feel like talking, but you could use some prayer, we have pastors on staff that would love to do that with you. You can call Walk in Truth Tuesdays through Fridays during daytime hours at 844-48-TRUTH. That's 844-48-TRUTH. 844-48-TRUTH. Now here's Pastor Michael with a final word. Well, maybe you read this story and you're like, well, why does God care more about Israel than he does about Egypt? Well, it's interesting to think about this, that in Isaiah chapter 19, there's a prophecy about Egypt trusting the Lord. There is evidence and Bible verses that indicate that a mixed multitude left Egypt with the Hebrews in the Exodus. That is that perhaps people heard about the death angel, the Passover, the blood of the lamb, and applied that blood and became part of that mixed multitude, that Uh, seems to be the case as we read through the book of Exodus. We do know that the gospel was intended for the whole world. Israel was to be a light to the nations, and Egypt was holding them captive from their destiny, if you will. And so that's why God broke them free. But remember, he still had a heart for Egypt, and he has a heart for all the nations. In fact, here I am. I'm an American pastor. How did I end up becoming a Christian. Well, because God has a heart for the nations, and so should we. And so these four cups are God's love story for, yes, his people Israel, but also for those who are grafted in, all Gentile nations, all believers in Jesus Christ who trust in him are grafted in. Israel became that vehicle by which the Messiah would come, the oracles of God would be entrusted And that's why he chose Israel, but he loves all nations. He loves you. He loves me. 
And that's why any of us have become believers today. This is Pastor Michael Lance. This is Walk in Truth. We're walking through the book of Exodus. We have hit the four cups of Exodus chapter 6, a beautiful teaching about salvation and about God's promises. And we're glad you're listening. Hey, if you'd like to find out more about Living Truth Christian Fellowship in Corona, where I serve as senior pastor, go to the website walkintruth.com and click on the church tab. If you live anywhere within driving distance of the Inland Empire in Southern California, we do services on Sunday mornings and Wednesday evenings. We have a lot more going on. We are not a huge fellowship. We're kind of a medium-sized church. There's room for you. If you've been looking, if this is the kind of Bible teaching that you have been longing for, we have a great fellowship here, and we'd love for you to be part of it. Living Truth Christian Fellowship in the city of Corona. The easiest way to find out more about us is go to walkintruth.com and click on the church tab, walkintruth.com. Click on the church tab. You can find out more about who we are, how we do things around here. But the Bible teaching that you're hearing here on the radio broadcast is from the pulpit of Living Truth Christian Fellowship in Corona. If you'd like to find out more, you can also call us at 844-48-TRUTH. That's 844-48-TRUTH. See you tomorrow for more on the Four Cups. And don't forget that Walk in Truth is a listener-supported ministry. Your financial partnership helps us broadcast on this station, provide the podcast for free, all to help more people like you dive deeper into the Word of God and apply it to their life. Please consider becoming a Walk in Truth monthly partner of at least $5 a month, or you can give a one-time gift. Visit walkintruth.com to give. And join us tomorrow for part two of Pastor Michael's teaching in Exodus chapter 6, verses 1 through 9, called The Four Cups. I'm Mike Massaro. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Our goal is to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.